so great to see you all. So great to see some family in from out of town celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been a good week. Grateful for that. I uh, thought about wearing my sweatpants today after some lots of eating, but uh, I didn't want to make visitors uncomfortable. You are loved, all right? Um, hey, title of today is Feast, and uh, we're going to look at the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew 22, 1 through 14, a fitting moment. We're just going straight through the gospel of Matthew, and here we come to this parable from Jesus about a future feast and we get to talk, to, talk about today, um, just several days after Thanksgiving. And I think I, like many of y'all, love, uh, or I, I love, and I think many of you do, um, Thanksgiving. It is just so relaxed, uh, lots of family, less, less pressure, and just sitting around enjoying, enjoying one another, enjoying good food, and I appreciate that so much. I, I have been walking around all morning just talking about how relaxed I am, and I'm usually, I don't usually feel relaxed, and the last few days have been replenishing for me in that regard, and I pray for many of you that that's been the same, um, and, you, and you feel that. So we get to talk today about the best feast ever. It's a future feast. Jesus is talking about it today in this parable um, that, that it is urgent, and we need to RSVP to it now, and uh, it's a future feast that is uh, that is for us, uh, really for Jesus, that we get to be a part of. And that's what we're going to look at from Matthew 22, 1 through 14 today. So here is the big idea. Um, God has invited us to his feast. See you there. Let's bring others. All right. God has invited us to his feast. See you there. And let's bring others. So in this passage, there are some really unique things, and we're going to see the gracious character of God the King, and we're going to see that some people reject God's offer to come to this feast, and we see that many receive God's offer to come to this feast, and then we're going to get a glimpse of heaven. There's a lot just in these 14 verses together, and it is a, it is a wonderful encouragement to me, this passage is, and I pray, and I know it will be to you as well. So um, let's dive in from verses one through three. Let's, let's consider this, that God invites humanity to the kingdom of heaven. God invites humanity to the kingdom of heaven from verses one through three. So just let's start with verses one and two and read those, and then we'll get to verse three in, in just a moment. So Jesus is talking, he's still in these, um, he's still talking to the chief priests and the elders. He is, he is urging them to come to know him. He's urging them, these people who are very religious and know God's word, but haven't placed their faith in Jesus yet. He's urging them to do so. That's the context. So here's verses one through two. It says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. That is an amazing two verses. And let's talk about them just, just for a moment. Two enormous questions that every human has. Number one is, what is God like, right? What is God like? And the other question is, what is heaven like? So many people around us, everyone around us has those questions. Some people might think God doesn't exist. If people think God exists, they want to know what God is like. If they believe heaven exists, which it does, and God exists, then they're wondering, what is heaven like? And this passage has answers to both of those questions. We get some great truth about both of these in this passage. So Jesus is saying that heaven can be compared to a wedding feast a king throws for his son. 
right? So he's, he's creating a comparison. What is heaven like? It can be compared to a wedding feast that a king throws for his son. And so I thought as, as we see these words from Jesus, it's important to think about the words, right? Like a, a feast, for instance, is next level, isn't it? It says not like finger foods. This is a feast, all right, so we get, a, we get a certain picture there, and we'll see in a few verses that we're talking about roasts, right, with steam rising, and you just like rolls and like throw it on the rolls with butter and, you know, the whole thing. Hungry? Right? I am. So, all right, then it says it's a wedding feast, and that's even more next level, right? A wedding feast is the biggest party you throw for your kids, right? Biggest party you throw. And I have two daughters, and those coming feasts are already in my radar, especially financially <laughs> and prayerfully for their, for their future husbands, right? <laughs> then it says a king, a king is hosting the feast for his son, who the king loves, and for his son's bride, whom the father loves also, right? And that really paints a picture of the... Of of the warmth of this feast and the love that's gonna be in this room. So breaking this down, just verses one through two, who is the king? Who is the king? It's God the Father, right? And then who is the son? It's Jesus. And then who is Jesus's bride? It's the church. And we know that the, the church is called Jesus's bride multiple times in the New Testament. Ephesians 5 is one place, Revelation 19, which is the future-looking um, marriage supper of the Lamb to which Matthew 22 is pointing, to which we're being invited. That's Jesus's bride being called the church. And the church is all who place their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and, and then becoming his disciples. That's that's the church. That's the people that love Jesus and will go to this feast. So the question then is, who is invited? And we know from all of scripture and really from the rest of this passage as well that it's all humanity. But in verse three, we see that Jesus is talking really specifically to these chief priests and elders. So look at verse three. It says, and God the Father sent his servants. That'd be like prophets, anybody who shared the good news with them. And God the Father sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So Matthew 22, very much like Matthew 21, Jesus is persistently, relentlessly inviting the chief priests and elders who are hard-hearted, hard-headed, unwilling to listen, unwilling to RSVP yes to this, unwilling to bow their knee to the authority Jesus. He's talking to them. They keep rejecting him. We saw this rejection last week in last week's passage also. This passage really mirrors the parable of the tenants. And we see here that you just got, we got to RSVP. We got to RSVP. There's an invitation that God the Father is extending. And all we got to do is extend that and realize that the invitation is faith in his son Jesus for what he's done for us on the cross, his resurrection. We receive that. We love the Lord Jesus. And, and that's how we're in to this feast. And he's extending that invitation to each of them. And what I find really interesting in this passage is that no matter where you place yourself on the like religious or irreligious scale, that, ex that invitation is extended to everyone. And we'll, we'll see that. Some people are like, I'm super religious, and other people would say, I'm not religious at all. Well, God is inviting everyone in this passage, all of humanity, to come to Jesus. The thing we all have to do is RSVP. One thing I love about this passage and, and these first few verses, verses one and two in particular, is 
It helps deconstruct misconceptions that people have about God. Misconceptions like God is a lie, or God is cold, or God is angry. And verses 1 and 2 paint a completely different picture than that, don't they? We see that the Lord is rather um, a God of grace to the most difficult of people, right? Like these chief priests and elders, they've been invited so many times to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they just won't do it. And you would think God at the invitation planning meeting where they're like, you know, slicing the paper and like sending it out and stamping it, I don't know, right? All that stuff. You would think he'd be like, hey, hey, those people over there, let's leave them off the list. They keep saying no. They're grumpy. They're always grumpy. I don't want them at my party. We want fun people here, right? God didn't do that. He keeps extending the invitation to them, to the most hard-hearted, hard-headed people. That is the nature of God. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a generous God who wants us to be saved. So he's extending the invitation over and over and over, even to the most difficult of people. We see here that God the Father is warm. We see that God the Father is a host. We see that God the Father is not skimping on what he will serve. He's pictured here as jolly, as celebrating a wedding, as a proud father who is delighted in not only his son, but in his son's bride, the church. That is God the Father. That is our Lord. That is the creator of the universe. And what an amazing picture of his character we have here. All right, so God invites humanity to the kingdom of heaven, verses one through three. Let's look at verses four through seven. Many respond no because they prioritize worldly things. Many respond no because they, they prioritize worldly things. And when you think about God's character in verses one and two and the relentless invitations that are coming, it's just kind of unheard of. Like, how could people not respond? But it is a reality, and all of us are very familiar with it, and all of us at one point or another were also saying no. Verses four through seven say this. Again, he sent other servants. So there's the relentlessness of God. He wants people to be saved. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You see the nature of God there. You see this urgency, this imminency. Come now, make the decision now. But verse five, it says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So we see here in verses six and seven, that there's accountability, right? There's the invitation, that's God's gracious mercy, but then there's accountability. If you don't receive it, this is your future. And so it's one reason God is extending the invitation to deliver us from that future and deliver us to, not only just from something, but to a table, to a feast, to his gracious presence forever and ever. And so Jesus is clearly putting this parable before them and saying to these chief priests and elders, this is you, this is you. You're hearing the message. Servants keep telling you. Now it's Jesus being one of those servants who is inviting them to this feast and they keep rejecting it. And not only have they rejected the invitation, now they're rejecting the servants and they're rejecting the son himself, Jesus Christ himself. They're just not putting up what Jesus is laying down, are they? 
They're not picking it up. As we read this parable, it's really clear that our attention can easily be on the wrong things. It was the case for them here in these verses, and it can be the case for us as well. Even things, our attention can be on things, good things that God has designed, things like the farm and the business that are listed here, right? God has given us this world to steward. He says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. And these are things that he's created our, our bodies and our brains to be able to do, but they are not to take priority, especially to the point where we wouldn't be able to hear or receive invitations from God. We're so busied by those things, consumed by those things. Our calendar's so full that we would rather just get back to work or we would rather say, I don't have time for this invitation. And that, that is exactly the illustration that Jesus is giving here. Here are three reasons people don't accept God's many invitations. Just three reasons here in this passage. Number one is indifference. Indifference. Three reasons people don't accept God's invitation. The first one, indifference. Meaning, I don't care about that. Like, there's too much else going on. There's things that are more important to me, so I don't care about that right now. I got the business, I got the farm, or whatever it is for us. Indifference. The second one is indecision. Indecision, like, ah, it seems like a good idea, but I, I can't quite make a decision on that now because of, and, and, you, and you fill in the blank, right? Indecision, you're, you're kicking the can. You're thinking, I'll get to it later. Let me check my calendar, right? Like, I'll pencil that in. Maybe in the next season of life. Right now, I'm not ready for that, but maybe when I get to this season, right? That's the indecision one. And then the third one is indignation. Indignation, meaning I hate that king, so I'm gonna hate on his servants. Indignation. So the obvious applicational question for us as we see these, as we feel these from verses four through seven that many respond no, the obvious applicational question for us is, is anything distracting us? Is anything distracting you from God's loving invitation? Is anything distracting you? Is anything distracting us from being disciples who love Jesus Christ and who love his kingdom coming? What is distracting you? Because it's, it's clearly it's clearly a thing. It was for them then, and it is for us now. So just let, just let your spirit be checked in that. Like, there's a feast. There's this God who loves us. It, it, our minds on that. Is he, is he priority? Is he first? Meaning, like, like, that's the best way to live by a long shot, because whoever, who else has a feast like this? Who else is gracious like this? Who else is merciful like this? So if anything's distracting Let's, let's bump that far down our list. I, I think of two examples, things that might distract us. One, one would be wealth. There's just so many things we have in this world that we're like, I don't know if I really value that future thing. Or there's so many things we could have in this world or build toward that I, I don't know that I even would value this, this feast and that future thing. I, I, got, I, I don't need a future, I got today. I think a lot of people think like that. And The other thing would be hustle that's distracting us, right? Hustle. I think that's probably one that gets me a lot is there's so many things going on. There's so many things to do. There's so many things to think about that I, I just don't slow down enough to consider the grace of God, the mercy of God, the character of God who's extended this invitation which I've received and the feast is coming. And so no matter what today holds, that feast is coming, right? And just to celebrate that and for us as believers to celebrate that and to know it's happening um, I find it interesting that God's invitation comes to the bored and to the busy. 
It comes to the board and to the busy, and both are going to receive it differently. To the board, people will be like, hey, that sounds fine. I don't have anything else going on. Let me go, right? Uh, or last week, we looked at those who are, who are poor and don't have a lot in this world, or they see a feast that's coming. They're like, yes, but those who are rich in this world are thinking, I don't know that I need that. Right? The busy in this world are, are thinking, like, I don't have time to process that. That's too big for me to process. I can handle little stuff, like I can handle an email, but don't give me something that's, like, eternal. That's too big for me to consider. It would change too much of my life. I got too many things going. If, if one train car gets off the track, everything's off the track, so, so we don't think about it. And Jesus is saying, you're... you're you're so busy with the business or busy with the farm that you're missing this amazing invitation. You're missing the character of God. You're missing the love of God. And what happens to us, and I think this is the majority of us in this room, is we receive this invitation, we see the love of God, and then it reorders everything in our life. What we thought would be our greatest anticipation coming has been changed because now the most important thing, the most exciting thing ahead is, is heaven and this feast and seeing the Lord. And it makes worldly things, it puts worldly things, things of this world, even the best things in this world, it puts them in their place. And we realize God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, but we don't idolize those things. We, we rather steward those things and we realize that God has authority over all of those. Many respond no because they prioritize worldly things. I pray that wouldn't be us. And if that's you in this room, I pray that you would prioritize the Lord and you would recognize his amazing invitation and receive it. Here's the third point from verses eight through 10. Many respond yes as they recognize the king's grace. Many respond yes. And this is, this is exciting, right? Like verses, the, the previous verses four through seven, you're like, oh my goodness, they keep saying no. But then verses eight through 10, many are responding yes as they recognize what? The king's grace. They recognize who he is. They're not just receiving a paper like, this looks like a fun party. I'll go to this. They're recognizing that God has extended grace in this moment so that we can be with him forever. And the ticket is Jesus. So look at verse eight. It says, then God the Father, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Just pause there and talk about that for a minute. So who is he talking about, those invited? He's talking about the chief priests and the elders. He's talking about the, the, the religious leaders who just weren't getting it. And those, they, they got the invitation, they rejected it. So what does it mean that they were not worthy? It means that they heard the invitation to heaven that is exclusively through faith in Jesus and they did not respond, making them unworthy of entrance into this feast. They were unworthy. They didn't respond by faith to this invitation. And so in this moment, if you're looking at just this verse and outside of the context, you, we, might, we might think like, oh, God is unfair. Like how, would, how are they not worthy? And then you realize, okay, they just keep rejecting it. They just keep rejecting it. So we think, were they invited? Yes. Were they invited a whole lot of times? Yes. Does the invitation still stand? Yes. Until when? Until either their death or until Jesus comes back. And that's the same thing for all of us. That invitation stands until our death or until Jesus comes back. So the urgency here is go ahead and accept it, right? God the Father, just imagine this, y'all. God the Father is saying the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. God the Father is saying the feast is ready. There's such urgency in those words. There's such a welcoming. God is like, come on, come on. Table is set, food is out, come on. Receive this invitation now. All right, verses nine through 10. 
So what does God do? They, they keep rejecting it. So verse nine, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Here's where God invites all of humanity, right? To as many as you will find. And those servants went out to the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the servants, that's prophets, that's us, that's anybody sharing the good news of Jesus with others so that others can know him and be in heaven too by placing their faith in Jesus for forgiveness. Those servants extend this. They go out to the streets and they're inviting everyone. This is evangelism. This is the offer of God's grace and salvation to all of humanity. And and note here two things. One, that God's desire is that the wedding hall be filled. You see that? His desire is that the wedding hall be filled. No empty seats. He wants everyone there. His heart is that no one would be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. Go get everyone, invite everyone, and bring them in. And then, second thing to note is that many say yes. Many say yes, amen? Many say yes. Many say yes. And I think in our heads, as Christians, we have this, the, the bigger thing in our heads is that many say no. And we just saw that from verses four through seven. Many say no, but many say yes also. And we have to get it in our heads. We have to get it in our mouths. We have to get it in our hands as we're extending the good news of Jesus to people, invitations to Jesus things that many will say yes. I think so often we're held back, we're hindered by this thought that many are gonna say no, and they are. They said no to Jesus for crying out loud. Of course they're gonna say no to us, but people are gonna say yes as well. Many say yes, and they went out into the streets and they gathered all whom they found, and many said yes. So let's bring others. And then I just find this really interesting, the second to last sentence in verse 10, it says, it says that the bad and the good were invited and responded. That's interesting, isn't it? What is that? It's honest. It's honest. We're all sinners, and we're all in need of a Savior. Some have been more heinous than others, but we all need Jesus. I think it's really interesting, like in Jesus' RSVP list, there's not like a, there's not like a, a na- or in Jesus' invitation list, there isn't a naughty and a nice list. It's just everyone Every human is invited, and it's those who trust Jesus as Savior and for forgiveness uh, that that are coming and who RSVP. I find that very helpful. So many people are thinking, am I good enough, and or have I been too bad? And this passage very clearly is everyone's invited. You just got to receive Jesus. You just got to believe in Jesus. He, He is the way in. All right, so many respond yes as they recognize the king's grace. And then here's the last point. The father welcomes those who really love his son. The father welcomes those, who who does he welcome? Those who really love his son. Verses 11 through 14. 11 through 14 say this. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how do you get in here without a wedding garment? How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness that in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
So here in the, pa- in the past verses, we saw accountability. Here we see it again, but here we see there's accountability to genuineness. Like you can't fake it till you make it, right? You can't, you can't just get in there past the omniscient God and he doesn't know that you don't love his son. God the Father knows who loves his son, agree? And, and that's, that's who's in. So, so the feast is happening, everyone's having a wonderful time and y'all, that is our future, right? We're gonna be at that table at this feast, verse 11, the feast is happening. Best food ever, best company ever, best host ever, best venue ever, best everything. This is future for us. And then God the King notices someone who had slipped in. All right, so do, do we really think that someone slipped past the omniscient God? Do we really think that? No, right? So Jesus is clearly illustrating and drawing out that regarding being at that feast, you can't fake it till you make it. We can only enter this feast by what? By loving Jesus Christ. By placing our faith in him, on him, for the forgiveness of sins. Good works can't get us into this feast. Looking the part can't get us in there. Christian lingo can't get us in there. Wearing a disciple shirt can't get us in there. We have to actually be saved by Jesus' disciples to be at this feast. Um, J. Vernon McGee, old school preacher, he wrote this about this passage. Uh, I hear some folks say they don't need to receive Christ, that they will take their chances before God, that they intend to argue their case. Well, our Lord said that this fellow without the wedding garment was speechless. And y'all have had... I've had conversations with lots of people um, in the last few years that they're like, I'm a good person, um, I'm way better than those people, and so when Judgment Day comes, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be in because I'm going to tell God all the, all the great things I did. And I'm like, that's, that's a terrible plan, right? I, I, I don't say it quite like that. But, but you got to say it, because often people will think like, well, God is a God of grace, he's a God of mercy, so for sure he's going to let me in. So first half of that statement, true, God is a God of grace and a God of mercy, but for sure he's going to let you in is not true unless you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And I, I find that this parable, y'all, this, this might be it is. It's a great evangelism tool. When you come to someone who's like, I've been a good person, I think I can be in, you could not even open your Bible. Just reference this story. Just tell the story. Jesus said that heaven can be compared to a king who threw a feast for his son. And he invited people, but they weren't receiving the invitation. And at the end, someone got there and they thought uh, they're going to they're, they're, they're gonna explain why they should be there. But that person was speechless. And so God knows who loves his son. You can't, you can't just fake your way in there. The father welcomes those who really love his son, and that, that makes sense, right? The father welcomes those who really love his son. I've had the honor in the past few months to officiate several weddings of um, dear couples in this church, and um, I, uh, I, I then get to go to the rehearsal dinners too, which is really fantastic because I get to meet their families, and I get to... Uh, take Vanessa on a really nice date because they're always at really nice places and um, we're thankful for that and it's just fun to chat and get to know 
everybody, but one of my favorite things about rehearsal dinners is watching the father of the groom, all right? So rehearsal dinner in, in our part of the world is usually funded by, hosted by, thrown by the father of the groom, right? Or, or the, the parents of the groom. And so in these settings, I love watching the father of the groom work the room, right? Because the father of the groom knows that everyone in that room, everyone invited, the 40 people or 60 people or however many it is, depending on the size of the rehearsal dinner, he knows that everyone there loves his son. Because why else would they be there? Why else would, they, why else would they be invited? He knows that all the people there love his son. And he knows that his son loves everyone there. And so the father grooms work in, work in the room. Everyone's sitting there. They're eating their amazing food. And he comes up behind people. He taps them on the shoulder. Welcome. So glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Thank you for the way that you love my son. I know this story. And you share some stories. And if that person's polite, they stand up and they give a good handshake. And they're talking. And they're saying, thank you for dinner. Thank you for this feast. It's wonderful. It's great to celebrate together. And there's this warmth. And there's this knowledge of one another's. And there's stories. And that is absolutely what this is going to feel like. God the Father knows who loves his son. He knows whom his son has saved, and the invitation is going to everyone, and people have received that invitation, and have RSVP'd yes, and I just imagine the Father knowing everyone in that room and all of us understanding there's so many stories between us now, things that he's done, things that we as believers have done together, we're at the same table, this is fantastic. To think about that, to feel that, and to know that that's coming. The Father welcomes those who really love his son. So the questions are, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And have you placed your faith in him for forgiveness, knowing that he paid your penalty on the cross? Because that's the ticket in. That's, that's what gets us into heaven. It's not good works. It's not being a religious person. It's not being a religious leader in a church like these, like these chief priests and elders were. It's loving Jesus. It's having our faith in him. Are we following him as a disciple? And do we realize that God the Father and Jesus know your name and will welcome you to heaven and will welcome you to this feast and there's gonna be so many stories between you and the Lord because of how well he knows you and because of how you can know him in this life. It's just really fun to think about. So as we close, um, it's just fun with this passage and, and every passage to do some truth thinking, like big T truth thinking about this coming feast, all right? A fun one to start. We won't be wearing sweatpants, right? We won't be wearing sweatpants. Y'all with me on that? How many of you think we'll be wearing sweatpants in heaven? Just don't raise your hand. We're not gonna be wearing sweatpants, all right? What will we be wearing? The Bible actually tells us in Revelation 19, we're going to be wearing our good deeds. We're going to be wearing our good deeds at this wedding feast. That's the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to be clothed in our good deeds. Like, that's motivating. Like, I want to be spectacularly dressed in, at this wedding feast, and I know all of you do too. We'll be wearing our good deeds. Good deeds don't get us in, but there are clothing at this wedding feast, which is so cool. Things that we do for the Lord clothe us in heaven. Like, that is... That is powerful. That is motivating, right? Like, oh man, exciting. And then the company and the conversation are gonna be spectacular. Right? So think of, 
Think of our conversations now, even the best. And so I would say if I have five great conversations, one of those I accidentally put my foot in my mouth about something. And I'm like, oh man, like that's never going to happen in heaven, right? Like we're never going to do that. Our conversations are always going to be great. Our our topics are always going to be great. Our love for one another is always going to be great. It'll be redeemed again. We're going to be talking about and loving one another like, like in Genesis 1 and 2. It's going to be great, right? The conversation, the company is going to be spectacular. And then the venue is literally indescribable. The Apostle John in Revelation, he tried to describe so many heavenly things. And he's just like, heaven was like, heaven was like, the feast is like. He's doing his best with with our world's words to describe otherworldly things for which there are no words. All he can do is say, it's like. The venue is literally indescribable. And then the head of the table is gonna be our Lord Jesus. Y'all, we're gonna be at that table. If you are here today and you are in Christ Jesus, and then the vast majority of us are, we're gonna be at that table. That is a future event for us. And that future event changes our today and our tomorrow because we're thinking, that's ahead. So that changes the way I think about the things here. Right? All my hope isn't here in this world. It, I, I'm, that, that is future for me no matter what because of Jesus. And that there's even a means to be there is amazing, right? Because we're sinners. That, that there's even a means for us to be there is amazing. Jesus Christ paid the penalty, paid our sin penalty so that we can be forgiven and be there before a holy God. Just praise the Lord for his grace. Praise the Lord for his grace. If you have um, not yet responded to God's gift of grace, make, make today the day. Make today the day. Confess your sin, believe on Jesus for your salvation. He paid your penalty. Follow him as one of his disciples as we are doing and let's grow together. Let's grow together. God the Father, our creator, full of grace and mercy, is a party planner. And he's planning a party for Jesus and those who genuinely love Jesus will be there. Awesome, awesome. Can't wait. See you there. Let's bring others. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for sharing this parable with hard-headed people. And we thank you for, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Matthew to write it down so that we can read it today and just recognize that this is coming. We pair it with Revelation 19. We recognize this is coming. This is the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we can RSVP, and that looks like placing our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've allowed that. You've paid our penalty on the cross. We give you glory for that. And Father, we thank you for who you are for your warm grace, for your astounding mercy, for your relentless pursuit, that you're a party planner, that you're a great host, that you know us by name, that you love your son, the groom, and that you love the groom's bride, us, the church. And to even consider that we are a part of all of those glorious things is wonderful. And it refreshes us and we're thankful, God. Thank you that it's our future. Thank you that you've called us to be your own. Thank you that you've moved us to receive that invitation. 
And I pray, God, that this event would be the event for all of us that we're excited about and that marks our futures more than anything else. And that it would really comfort us through the difficult times. And it would motivate us through the great times. And that it would prioritize our lives through all the different things and options that we can do in this world. Lord, we love you. We are grateful. Thank you for what's ahead. In Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit.